Are we live? We're live. All right. Welcome, everybody, to 20% Time, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Titan, a web consultancy based out of Chicago, but entirely remote and spread out all over the place. We specialize in Laravel, a PHP framework, which we're often pairing with any number of JavaScript frameworks and libraries. But today, we aren't exactly talking about coding or, well, we sort of talking about the important stuff behind that, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. I'm your host, Dave Hicking, and this episode is a little different. Well, it's not technically a 20% day, but really, more importantly, it's because we are live at the Titan 2022 onsite in lovely Gat- Gatlinburg. I should learn how to pronounce that. Gatlinburg, Tennessee, in an absolutely amazing space surrounded by my lovely coworkers. Whoop, whoop. And I'm joined it's a mega this, lodge. It's at the lodge. That's right. I'm joined for this very special episode. It's like in the 80s when you have like a very special episode yes. of a sitcom and you learn a valuable lesson. <laughs> I was just going to say, you're going to learn not to do drugs. That's what this is actually about, so... Is this an intervention? Yeah. We didn't want to tell you about it. I think I missed that episode. And I'm joined today, as you've already heard, by Titans partners, Dan Sheets and Matt Stauffer. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey. Hi. Hey, Howdy. For, for people who do not know you, can you say a little something about yourselves? Matt, you want to start? Oh, man. I was thinking alphabet. Uh, my name's Matt. Um... <laughs> man, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah, can I start with Dan? Man, I wasn't ready to intro myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a partner at Titan. Yeah. I have two wonderful children and a little fluffy dog. Yep. Live in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Apparently, really enjoy doing fake Southern accents right before we record live podcasts. That's okay. about all I've got about myself right now. So. Okay. Okay. I'm also enjoying embarrassing my business partner right now. Yeah. Yeah. So. You, you got me blushing. <laughs> He's like, this idiot? I'm Dan and I'm blushing. Um, is it my turn now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. All right. I'm Dan. I'm the CEO of Titan. Um, okay. So. Shit, we're talking personal stuff. Wait, yeah, yeah. No, I'm from from Chicago. I, I, uh, I'm an, a half decent t-ball coach, and uh, got four little kids. Yeah, and uh, spend the rest of my time, I don't know, hanging out with these people, kind of. So that's it. Okay, excellent. So we are talking today about something that y'all worked on quite a bit for mm-hmm. a long period of time, called the the Titan Manifesto. Yeah. But before we get there, I want to rewind a little bit. So let's start with the idea of creating a company that you'd want to work for. So Matt, you wrote a blog post almost six years ago, which seems impossible, called The Great Titan Experiment. That's almost like a prequel of mm. sorts to the Titan Manifesto. Either of y'all can answer this. How long were y'all in business together before you realized how opinionated you were going to be about the type of company you were building? I'll take that one, I guess. Um, right. Before we started, for sure. I mean, I... Yeah. I there was only one kind of company I wanted to work for, period. Uh, I just think that we, you know, Matt and I happen to be really aligned on, on what sort of company that was. Mm. Um, I already had small children by the time we met, or at least one. Um, and uh, it just wasn't going to be compatible for, with, with my life at all to, to have some sort of kind of, um, I guess, like startup type uh, company where you're going to work all kinds of hours. I, was, I wanted to work nine to five. Um, yeah. And... Uh, save time for the rest of my life and matt really shared that so matt maybe you can take it from there and but um i mean am i right that we kind of we had we were relying on that before we started things yeah some of the things i think that are a part of like what define what this company looks like for us we figured out over time like dan often references conversations we had where we learned about no estimates and some of these other kind of defining elements those were not there from the very beginning but things were there from the very beginning were like the type of people we wanted to be, the type of company we wanted to be kind of overall. We just didn't necessarily know all the ways that was going to pan out. Um, so, for example, when we met with one of Dan's friends who was a branding guy, and he said, let's just sit down in a room together with a whiteboard for, you know, a day. You know, our 
question, our answers were so consistent with each other that first of all, he was laughing at that. We're basically didn't know each other super well at this point. We're giving all the same answers, but at some point he laughs and he goes, so he's basically, you want to be Mr. Rogers and Jesus as a company, basically. And we're like, well, <laughs> that wasn't the language we were going to use, but it's all this like do good, care for people, take care of people kind of stuff. And so a lot of those elements of like kind of what makes the company get its ethos, re- yeah. less like how to do this as a programming company and more how to do this just in general. Those were there from the very beginning. A lot of the opinions about how to do that from a programming perspective, some of them we had from the very beginning, like Dan said, we'd both worked for agencies that made our lives miserable, but a lot of those things we also figured out as we went. So it's kind of half and half there. Mr. Rogers at Jesus is a, it's it's a high, high bar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the great Titan experiment put out on, on Titan, the lovely Titan.com. If you're listening to this and you've never gone, you should go, mm-hmm. um, is written in June of 2016. So actually at this point, almost, yeah, entirely six years ago. Yeah. Um, so fast forward to maybe five, five and a half years later, and you're in the middle of working with Focus Lab on the new Titan.com. At what point did you know, it's a two-part question, at what point did you know you wanted a manifesto Hmm. on the site? And then second part, what did you want the manifesto to accomplish? I mean, I think I can answer the first one. So we kept getting in situations where that, because at the beginning of the branding process was them asking these questions about like, what are you about and what do you want people to know? How do you distinguish yourselves from, you know, the other people in the space and stuff like that? And so I would keep saying these things about, well, we're very distinctly this way and we're very distinctly not that way. And each time they're like, oh, you have a very well-defined way that you think you should approach these and it's very unique and it's very different. Has this ever been written down somewhere? And I'd be like, yeah, this one blog post we wrote six years ago or whatever. That was kind of the the deficient. And the rest of it just comes in things that he and I just spout all the time. At some point they're like, you know, this kind of reminds us a little bit of like manifestos. And they gave us some example of manifestos and I was like, yeah, that's, that's definitely it. Like there is a manifesto living inside of us that we just have never actually written. And so Focus Lab actually made it like a really big pressure for them to just, not a pressure, but they, they, they said, there is a very distinct way that you all think about doing this yeah. and you've never really put it all down in paper in one place. We think it's going to be valuable both for the, the, the Focus Lab team to be able to consume this, but also for you actually to have it publicly on the website so that people can interact with. It. So it was all kind of a part of the same thing. And we don't want them to be held up. So at that point, I was like, cool, I will just go disappear into a cabin, literal, a literal cabin in North Georgia and <laughs> right. start this thing for a weekend and kind of give them enough to work with. And then later it turned in, and I'm sure you want to ask about this more, later it turned into actually me and Dan fleshing it out. But a lot of it was just trying to get all these things that they kind of kept experiencing us casually referencing as our shared knowledge base of like how we want to do this and how we think we should be done. Um, they're like, can you just get it all in one place? So when we're building the language for your company, when we're building the visual language for your company, that we can have something to refer to rather than having to basically pick y'all's brains every time. So it was really very much in the focus lab process where they kind of like planted that idea in our brains that writing it all down might be a good idea. And it lined up with a lot of our values. We talk a lot about good to great and other kind of business ideas that basically say like, you don't want it to be the Dan and Matt show. Like the goal is not for it to everything to define on us. The goal would be when we disappear for however much time because of whatever reason, everything keeps running not only smoothly operationally, but also like ideologically. And so this is another way for us to kind of take these desires and dreams we have and kind of put them in paper so other people can be internalizing them and agreeing with them and making their actions based on them. So that's interesting. The note, the difference between sort of like, okay, bringing in extra folks, whether it was me once upon a time or whatever, to help with process and things like that, but the sort of operationalizing, not just the nuts and bolts, but the ideology. Yeah which is an interesting term, but mm-hmm. sort of the <laughs> principles, the ideology of Titan. Let's go with ethos, yeah. Yeah, ethos might be better. More accurate. <laughs> um, and then in terms of what you wanted the manifesto to accomplish, I think that was part two, dude. Yeah. I mean, I have some thoughts, but do you want to stop or, or talk or should I just keep going? Yeah, you can keep going for okay. now. Okay. 
two things I wanted to accomplish. Number one thing I want to accomplish is to make it abundantly clear to everybody who's involved in doing anything at Titan, whether it was Focus Lab or all of our employees or even our eventually our clients, to know what we're about. Because this whole like we talk about it all the time, but the bigger the company gets and the bigger our clients get and the more clients we get, the more likely we are interacting with people who've never heard Dan or me actually talk about how we do work. Yeah. So we take on the responsibility of communicating that more effectively to more people in be these bigger spaces. So the first thing is making sure that the people who work with us and the people who we connect with know that. But for me, there's also the value of like, I would in the middle or prior to writing this, this thing would be on podcast with people. And I was on a podcast with one of my friends. We were supposed to talk about one thing and she, she heard me mention some aspect of how we work. I, oh, the apprenticeship program. Yeah. And she's like, we're canceling the entire podcast we're doing. We're talking about the apprenticeship program that whole time. Yeah. And then her, and she does like this live podcasting thing. And yeah. so her people in the chat were like, oh wait, you do these other things. We want to hear more about it. And I just realized that like, historically we have done a really good job of sharing how we code and helping other people understand how to code that way. And we've done a little bit of sharing like how we think we should be as people, right? I'd give talks about empathy. We talk about, you know, Marge Roach talks about like how we care for each other, but we have done very little of is talking other than that one blog post is talking about how we think companies, especially programming companies should be run differently. So one of the big goals for the manifesto was saying it would be very, very cool if we release this thing out in the world and as similar to the way that 37 Signals put a lot of their kind of ideas about how to work out in the world and it changed how a lot, and ThoughtBot did too, yeah. it would be very cool if people consumed this manifesto and said, oh, this inspires how we want to run our company. And we have heard some really cool stories where someone will say, yeah, we started our company and we wanted to make it just like Titan, which is cool, but they're scrabbling together the understanding of Titan from right. blog posts and podcasts. So it would be very cool if we had like basically like a like take this and run with it, make it your own. But this is the basis of what being like Titan would look like and share it freely with as many people as possible. So more companies can hopefully treat their employees and, and their clients kind of the way we're trying to do. Yeah, I'll just, I guess, say add one thing. And most of the conversations I'm having on a day-to-day -day basis are with you know uh, clients or, or prospective clients. And what I'm trying to communicate is, you know, in in drips and drabs, like you, like you say, um, just sort of how we're different and, yeah. um, and what we're about. And uh, part of this is just gathering a lot of it into one, into one space. Right. So I can say, Hey, go read this thing and you'll have a you know pretty good idea of what we're about. And, you know, it also serves as a, as somewhat of an underpinning for other areas of the, of the website where we talk about, you know, our, our method, all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Just uh, we wanted there to be like a, a philosophical piece that underpinned it. I think it, just to, to bring some, um, you know, to give it a foundation. So, so Matt, you were correct when you hinted earlier that I might want to ask more, I think probably about the process is what you were thinking of, of writing the manifesto. <laughs> the manifesto is in many ways built on a lot of things that we have talked about over the years at Titan, but can you talk about a, a bit more about how you two approached it? Was it sort of like you knew that you had this bucket of ideas and that was going to create the manifesto ultimately, or did you actually create, whether it was you or with the assistance of Focus Lab, like purposeful time to say, here's what we know we want to put in the manifesto is there anything we're missing? Do we need anything else? Like, how did you go about generating the raw material for it? Yeah. So I thought about it a lot. And one of the things that helped was in the conversation with Focus Lab, anytime they'd go, wow, that's very interesting. I'd kind of like take it away in my brain of like, yeah. oh, that's something I should make sure is in there. But really in the end, what I kind of imagined was like, I, and I literally did, I rented a cabin in Rome, Georgia, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, overlooking a sun, not a sunflower field, some kind of flower field <laughs> right by a river. And I just wandered around with a, with a tablet for you know, 48 hours straight. And I just like, what makes us different? How do we set ourselves aside? What are we really about? And I just wrote it down in like the loosest, craziest notes you can possibly imagine. I wrote down little stories and I wrote down 
full paragraph prose. I wrote down bullet points, whatever I could just get out of my brain. And then I would step back and I'd sit away from it a little bit. And then I try to organize it and then I'd step back and then I try to organize it. And I try to get to the point where we at least had some sort of like kind of narrative form that I was able to kind of like recognize this is about this chunk. This is about this chunk. Maybe write some rudimentary subheads or whatever. And at that point, I just kind of like I was ex mentally exhausted. And so I put it in a Google Doc and I shared it with um, Dan and Keith in the um, the Focus Lab folks. So everyone who's working on the Focus Lab project at that point, I just said, here it is. I don't know if it's any good, <laughs> but it's good enough for us to at least like have the basic understanding of this. And so that was what they did a lot of the website work from knowing it was kind of draft form. And then months later, I handed it off to Dan, and then he can tell you about what his process was there. But it stayed in this very, very draft form that I'd written in originally until yeah. Dan took it over, maybe February or something like that. Yeah, sure. I think it was, Jan it was January when okay. we launched the site, I think, on February 8th or 7th. Um, but, uh, it was Laracon, I think, right? Yeah, right, yeah. right before <laughs> Laracon. So, so it was I mean, like then. minutes. Minutes before Laracon, <laughs> right. But, uh, and that was our, that was our you know, hard deadline, Yeah. Uh, which interestingly we, let, we don't, interestingly, we don't do a lot of that. Uh, hard deadline stuff but you know in this case um we got a taste of that anyways uh yeah i mean i took matt's what was effectively raw material um and lots of really good ideas that were gathered into a, into a, a place and then you know did one round of of i guess refining or, or trying to like shape it up into something that read a little bit more uh linearly um or that you could uh and then i think it wrote like an introduction a little bit or or, or shaped an introduction um yeah, I mean it's not not that much different from from the way that Matt and I do a lot of like team writing, which is yeah. a d sort of like don't try this at home uh, <laughs> method. It's <laughs> really strange um, and it's different each time. But like we'll pass emails back and forth that need to go to clients. We'll you know um, communications to the team that we want to make sure that are nuanced properly and, right. and you know, we take it really seriously. The the tone that that comes out in um, in written communication. Uh, one thing I, I definitely did was turn everything into an uh, into the imperative form mm -hmm. because we wanted to be speaking directly to people and we wanted to not say things in like a milk toast kind of way just because they sounded um, you know brash or, or or even you know braggy or something like that uh, you know people these are grown-ups that we're dealing with and they can they can take things with a grain of salt so I tried not to um, uh, to disclaim or or equivocate very much. I try to state things really directly, and you know, if people don't like it, I would just say, "Well, it's a manifesto. Come on, just like give us a break here. Like we're we're trying to to uh, make it a little bit interesting and and, uh, and direct. Uh, say the things that we that we believe strongly, and that we're, we're hard earned in many cases. So, um, yeah. And then you know, I pulled a few things out that Matt was you know uh, wanted to put back in, which very often happens, and sure. one of us will. We'll say, wow, you pulled out the thing or the, like, that best part I, and I'll try to put it back in. And, um, and, you know, I gave in on most of those things because I don't always know which parts he thinks right. are really good and which parts he's, you know, are just kind of like he was uh, he was brain dumping. So, yeah. um, you know, went back and forth a couple more times. He doesn't leave notes in the margin like this is my favorite smiley face. <laughs> but we just change it and then yeah. like pass it back to the other. Yeah, like, I, you know, I which fight one, him on it or yeah. I don't fight him on it. That's there, how you know, there, there's no there's no diffs. There's no version control. It just goes back and forth. And, right. you know, eventually something comes out the other end. I want to add a note about this. The, this writing process requires an incredible amount of trust because no doubt, yeah. I need to know that I can hand it off to Dan and not have to micromanage his editing and mm -hmm. his writing and yeah. his whatever, because otherwise I'd be like, Oh, don't screw my stuff up. But I was like, whatever Dan <laughs> yeah. does is 99% of the time going to be significantly better than what I added. And if that 1% of the time is going to be, like you said, it's because he didn't understand that something was really important to me. I mean, so I I'll come back and say way off, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. So I, I pull a little bit back in or 
and one of the things we ended up doing is having to balance each other a little bit on the brashness versus hyperbole scale, mm-hmm. right? Like we both want to say things that are very strong and very confident, right. and we don't want to be so hyperbolic as to say things that makes everyone go, well, that's obviously not realistic, so now I have to take this entire thing as hyperbole. So we were kind of back and forth quite a bit yeah. of trying to find figure out what that line is. And and also we did this a lot with Focus Lab. How much language do we want to use that at sometimes is more direct and then sometimes it's going to turn people off because we're using almost like kind of tech bro language of like, well, don't be a dick or whatever. So there's just a lot of this like trying to figure out how to have the really fine balance of very direct and clear communication without taking it so far as it made people not actually kind of listen to it. I mean, it is called a manifesto. That's yeah. I mean, In fact, I think I even gave Matt feedback, which, you know, was taken and considered, I'm sure, which was that, was. are we sure we want to call it a manifesto? <laughs> because that is very strong. Some, what does it evoke for it. you, Dave? Does it evoke the Unabomber or uh, what's... The fact that I didn't even have to add, like say it and you <laughs> well, We, are, we are in a cabin in the woods. I mean, it feels like an appropriate place to be talking about. So uh, question for both of you. So we'll, whoever wants to take this one first and then we'll go. Uh, name like what you think is the most important thing that the manifesto hmm. Like talks about, like what's the big like? If people own, if someone visits Titan.com and gets it, what's one takeaway you want them to have? Mm. Shit, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't prep. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm flipping through it again. I am too. I'll add the jeopardy. Uh-huh. You can cut this if you want. No, <laughs> I've already scrolling time. Three that are that are the most important ones. That's so. not how yeah. it works. I know. I'm, yeah. that's, I'm just I'm gonna make one. Huh? Matt, Hopefully that means it's really give good. Give us some candidates. Woof. Um. I mean, for me, it's probably going to be this bit about trust, right? Because it's the thing I've been talking about for the longest um, in every context. Yeah. And so that's from from hiring to clients bringing us on um, to, I mean, with my kids, uh, really all over. And, and I think the, the um, someone mentioned it here today and, and said it really well, actually. I, I think it was, I think it was Anthony um, that was talking about uh, the idea of, there's two ways you can trust, right? One is the, like someone has to earn your trust and you build up these and maybe like some series of of steps that you get to the point where you trust someone or the the way that I'm talking about is the leap of faith kind of trust, right? Like where you, you have a gut, you know, sense of somebody or a company and, uh, and you decide to trust them because the alternative takes a really long time. Yeah. Trust uh, by default. Yeah, exactly. And and that's not the only reason to do it that way, but for one thing, you know, when our clients show up, for instance, they have needs, right? They don't, they don't have time to sort of like put us through our paces and figure out if we were, were worthy of their trust. Um, you know, they, they, what I'm trying to encourage them to do is, is look at our track record and kind of, you know, um, realize that we have what they need and, and take that leap. So, um, but there's a, a, a really important underpinning to that, which is that you, you know, you have to, uh, extend the, the, um, the presumption of good faith to everyone in all interactions. And that's it's a, yeah. one of our core values. It was written around the same time um, as this manifesto, but that to me is, is the key, right? Cause if you're, if you're not hearing what people are saying, or you're, you're sort of trying to see monsters under the bed all the time um, in a, in a uh, interpersonal interaction, then, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to, to establish that relationship of trust. So that, that really is, I mean, I think the, for me, the biggest thing is, is not only to, um, to trust people, but to demand it in return. And I mean, I think I say pretty directly, like you, if you don't trust us, you just can't do business with us, period. Yeah. Um, and that's, um, yeah, it, it, to me, it's pretty straightforward, but it's, uh, the, the reactions I get sometimes on, on, on calls with clients are, there's a huge range, but, uh, the people who get it really get it. And the people who really don't 
really obviously don't. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, I'll say this kindly, it's a good weed out, um, you know, uh, moment in, sure. in our conversations. So that for me is, I think, probably the most key part. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's actually the subhead in the intro. So none of the mm -hmm. individual sections. And the subhead is build a company you want to work for. Mm -hmm. And the whole intro, before you actually even get into any of the particular pieces, says the company we want to work for. Um, I think that the reason that's more important to me than any of the individual pieces is because the individual pieces are showing you subsections of that concept. Like, here's a way to think about how what it might be like. But in the end, like, we set out to create a company that we wanted to work for. Literally, that was the language we used to talk about this concept. And therefore, if you're doing that, then you're always leading with empathy and care and all this kind of stuff and saying, like, I think that the number one shortcoming of the vast majority of leaders of companies is that they don't think about the experiences of the people who work for them. And so... As a result, they don't do all the things that I think we're talking about here, considering the people more than, you know, the work they're able to produce or, you know, changing your relationship with agile or your relationship with estimation. Like all these come things come from what it looks like to care for people and to set them up for success. And it's not just the people who work for us. It's also the people who we work with, you know, clients and everything like that. But in the end, I do think that, like, if you don't foundationally have the understanding of what it's like to work for you all the other things are not really going to do that much good. So you could have really great processes and everybody's miserable actually implementing those processes. It's not going to take you very far. So I do think that like the most foundational piece is understanding that like creating a space that people, people's lives are and family lives and everything like that are better as a result of working at Titan, I think is the thing that like, if you ignore everything else here and you just yeah. ask that question of your processes and your policies and your pay or whatever else on a regular basis for your company, that would be the first thing I think I'd want. Yeah, I, I just want to add one thing to that, because it, it risks being so obvious as to be meaningless, right? Like, you know, if you're going to make a company, of course, you want to make one that you want to work for. Yeah. Um, but what I I think what we're saying, um, both in this manifesto and in lots of other conversations, is um, the idea that it's your company. You get to make it all up, right? There, There's, you know, you can take inspiration from different different folks and different, um, you know, other organizations that you respect. But ultimately, like, if I get an idea about a way that we can, you know, implement an employee uh, benefit or perk better, yeah. I just get to decide to do that. Or at least Matt and I get to decide to do that. And you don't have, you don't have to build a, on a template that someone else decided, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, um, you know, that having that notion of like, is this what I would want my boss to do? in this situation um, is a, is a good kind of guiding light for us. So I think that's what we really mean by it. Yeah. So. Was there one particular thing that was like the last cut from the manifesto? Mm -hmm. Something one of you like really argued for, but ultimately whether it was like, maybe it's not, maybe it wasn't a thought that you both of you felt was fully developed yet. Or maybe you looked at the page and you're like, guys, this is getting kind of long. Like whatever your thinking mm -hmm. was, was there just something that almost made the cut, but didn't. I'm just gonna say right now, my memory is garbage. So if he doesn't have any ideas, yeah. I got nothing. Okay. So. I don't, Dave, remember the, anything being the last cut. I, yeah. I mean, I think that there was a point where um, just what it was about yeah. kind of shifted a little sure. bit after it, after it came from Matt and um, and passed through me one time. Naturally, it was going to be more about about the business and less about you know particular programming processes. And I th I think that um, you know Focus Lab really did intend it for. They were thinking more along the lines of like, how should you program, right? And that's quickly was not what came out of your your brain. Yeah, uh, I mean, I started with the whole like be agile, not necessarily agile, mm -hmm. but most of it, it turned out to be how to build culture and care for people and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah that was yeah. pretty early on. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I don't remember there being a, a, a final cut. It was, I mean, like most of this stuff, I mean, it's stuff that has been 
in Matt. In fact, like most of the website, I guess is what I'm, I'm thinking about. Most yeah. of the copy on there yeah. is stuff that Matt and I have been talking about with one another and with, with others for years. So it's really just like a gathering of a whole bunch of different, yeah. you know, stuff into one place. If there was anything that changed at the last second, last second cuts, it would probably be softening certain language. Like I keep looking mm-hmm. at the, the, the subhead rethink estimation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty sure that's not, it wasn't that gentle first round. Oh no! So, yeah. Was it like eliminate estimation? <laughs> Probably, or, app, like, or never like estimate. Or, or I was a know. little harder on the idea of meetings too than than Matt wanted me to be. To be <laughs> other points. Um, and, and in fact, I think Dave, you might have had some feedback on that too. I, I might have. Yeah. The manifesto is ultimately just words on a website. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I personally value, you're not paying me to it's say this. It's not a way exactly. of life, Dave. I, <laughs> I don't have it tattooed on me. I was just going to say, are you sure? Maybe you should not all getting tattoos after this. There's a lot of shops where we could. There's a lot of words on this. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. One of the things I value about Titan is that both of you are very serious about living up to it, right? Like you didn't just put it out there and then kind of ignore it. Out of all of the things in the manifesto, is there one part in particular that you think is hardest, and you can define that word however you want, hardest to pull off on a day-to-day mm. basis or one that you struggle with the most to pull off on a regular basis? That is a fantastic That's question. <laughs> we're scrolling again. Um, the second half questions are harder. We, we were warming up before. It's okay. You might be cutting some dead air here. I feel like there's an easy answer, but I don't want to take the easy yeah, answer. Yeah, I, I think we probably... <laughs> do you want to take the easy answer and I'll try and come up with the hard one? I mean, it's, a, it's a hard to do, but um, let's see. Well, let's start with the easy answer. Let's see where that goes. Okay. Yeah. The easy answer is don't shy from conflict. Yeah. Dan and I are both naturally uh, people-pleasing, conflict-avoidant human beings who have been taught and have lived our lives just basically just working ma- mainly on making sure that we're like bridge builders, right? Like you make sure that everybody around you is satisfied and happy. Yeah. We're empathetic, so we're able to read the room and figure out when people aren't happy. And so it's our nature to want to do the things that are making the other people who are around pleased. But the problem is you can't run a company and you can't do a lot of significantly difficult relationship um, or organizational things without sometimes making somebody unhappy. And so if you're unwilling to do so, then you actually do really toxic things because you end up saying like one of the examples I gave and I talked the other day was you say, um, you know, as a people pleaser, you tell people you might do this thing that they're really excited about. And then when you don't do it, it's actually worse. Or as a conflict avoider, you know, there's something wrong with some, what somebody's doing and you don't want to be uncomfortable in telling them. So you don't tell them. And then that's way worse for them because they can't fix it. And then if they lose their job later, they're like, nobody told me. So like you, there's so many ways in which you can't run a company. Well, you can't have real meaningful and difficult conversations or relationships. Well, especially with people who are distinctly different from you without being willing at times to like make them uncomfortable or make yourself uncomfortable. So the element that says don't shy from conflict, I think has definitely been one where we very early on recognize the need to grow in this yeah. and had some difficult experiences within the first year or two where we didn't do a good enough job on it and well, really had to like Matt's being nice, like mainly, well, I'm sure you have other examples, but uh, there was definitely a, a point where I was making promises on behalf of the company that were, were making us miserable and it really you <laughs> more than anybody, but, um, but really everybody. So it, it, um, yeah, that was, um, I, I don't know that I knew that I was so conflict avoidant until, or, I, or that I was like really self-aware about mm-hmm. it until we got to that point. Um, and because I, you clearly were, and you, you knew it, uh, but the, you know, um, some of those early experiences with me, you know, going out to California, making a whole bunch of promises on, on behalf of the company and then coming back to me like, Hey, look at all this business I got. Right. And then you being like, wait, 
like <laughs> how much are they going to pay us for all this? This looks like a year's worth of work, you know, um, and we've got three months or whatever. So it's, it, you know, that was um, hard earned. And, and so like you, you said, it's an easy answer, but it's the one that I think was the hardest to uh, just, you know, it uh, personally to, mm-hmm. to um, overcome and then implement. Um, and it's not done. I don't mean to indicate that's like a, right. a solved matter. It, it's really aspirational and, and something that we continue to try to, uh, to try to do better at so yeah yeah i don't i don't have another one no, that's, okay. that, that's far and away the most difficult one um what was it what was the original question it was <laughs> which was the is hardest there, is yeah. what is there something that is the most hardest the most difficult challenging whatever word you want to use sure, right? that sure, is sure. the most insert mm-hmm. to pull off on a day-to-day basis to live up to on a day yeah that's basis. definitely the one yeah yeah the notion about Ooh. like you know war like sort of worrying about am i making promises that's going to make life hard for the team mm-hmm it's, I think that's hard for agencies, right? Because, you know, it was oh, funny. Yeah. I was, I was driving around with Keith and I was telling him that I worked at a, at a lo- academic library previously where the sort of joke that we would make is mm-hmm. this isn't really a library more. It's like a perpetual acquisition machine. And then everything <laughs> is in service of that machine. And yeah. when you have an agency, as you ramp up biz dev and you get better at it, it can probably be tempting to almost turn it into like a perpetual, like everything becomes in service of how much business can you pull in. But I think oh, yeah. one of the things that we've talked about this week. And one of the things that y'all have talked about purposely is like, you don't want it to just be, yeah. we're going to hire as many people as we possibly can yeah. in order to service. Like you're not just like more biz dev and then more people like that's not the point. No, for sure. I mean, it makes me think about those early conversations with um, Adam Wathen and others about, you know, when I would come back with, with a, a potential project and say, okay, so the, you know, check out this really cool project I've got, like right. client wants to know how much, how long, et cetera. And <laughs> yeah. he'd be like, man, seriously, like, you know, I can't tell you, like, why, right. why are you coming to me again asking me this? Like, go t- tell them it's $6 million. Like, $6 million, we can definitely do the project. And I go, come on, all right, I, I hear you. I hear you. It's, it's hard to it's hard to estimate. It's hard to to give me, you know, a level of effort um, kind of a thing. But, you know, can we just ballpark? And, I, we, and, yeah. then, and all, I, I tried all, all the different ways to get to, to get around that, just thinking that, like, oh, well, I need to tell him what he needs to hear. And then I need to tell the, you know, the, the client that they need, you know, what they need to hear. And eventually it was like, you know what? I think what I'm going to do instead is just basically tell them what Adam was saying, which is that we have no idea how long this is going to take right. um, and see if we could get away with it. Right. Because it was honest, yeah. you know, um, and that's kind of the whole notion, the whole gist of this manifesto is right. like, try this, try to get away with doing things in a way that is in service of the people that, that work with you. Right. Yeah. And, and doesn't, and isn't counter to it. And uh, maybe we'll eventually get to the point where we do get smacked down. and we don't always get away with this super easily, but mm-hmm. it, it has overall worked and we, we stopped doing that. You know, we, we, and we built up the structures uh, at the company um, based on feedback from people like Adam, Adam and others yeah. that would say, Hey, you know, um, Thanks for, you know, keeping us employed, but, um, <laughs> the promises you're making, maybe don't, maybe don't map onto like, uh, sure. us, uh, having a good time. So, uh, uh, you know, we've been trying to, uh, shape things around that for, for a long time. I got a short note. There's one yeah, other please. thing that is difficult in the day to day, less because this is hard for Dan and me to do, but because it's actually just a hard thing to do overall, which is develop culture and not just processes. Mm. So one of the things that happens when you get into um, a situation where you don't like how something happened or it's going really well in most places and then you find a new place where it's not going the way you're expecting is you're going to say, well, we must standardize this, right? Like, let's figure out how we can lock in a checklist or a set of expectations or a document or whatever that's going to force everybody to do this in the first place. And what we've realized 
um, very, very quickly is that doesn't line up with the way of thinking. What we want is to do instead is to define a combination of hiring people and setting people's expectations while communicating how we communicating and how we want to work so that that is an inherent culture that so that people make those decisions or take those actions as a natural response out of how they understand how to do this. And this is both employees and clients rather than, oh, we've got 17,000 checklists that you must run at the beginning of every project and in every single conversation you have. But this is a really difficult thing to do because on a regular basis, we have this natural inclination to build a checklist, build a process, build a structure or whatever. Yeah. And some structures are good. But one of the phrases that you use often, Dave, is, mm -hmm. is organizational scar tissue. A yeah. lot of things that you see happen in a lot of organizations, and this, this is true with a lot of our clients and a lot of other agencies, is not actually the best thing to do. It's like it's sort of like if you walk up to a restaurant and you see all the signs that says, you know, no shirt, no shoes, no service, but also all the other things like, and nobody can come in with a pet bear. You know, like, what are you talking about? Like, it's like because at some point somebody came with a pet bear. So what do they do? They, they put, put a, a sign on the door that says no pet bears. Like, experience, yeah. it's, 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 it's organizations have ne negative experiences and then they make a rule or they make a policy yeah. or they make a process. When in reality, what those usually are are reflective of a way that the culture has not been defined. And, and for us, as we've grown as a company, a lot of those cultural elements were like, well, we've hired a very similar set of people with a similar set of experiences. And we all spend a lot of time together when there's six of us. When there's 30 of us, first of all, we're trying to hire people from different backgrounds, which means yeah. you have less assumption of shared experience, but also people aren't hanging out with Dan and Matt every single day. And so the osmosis from owner to individual employee is not going to be the same. And so doing the intentional work to resist the temptation to build a, a, a process build a policy, build a rule every single time something's not yeah. going consistently the way you want versus doing the harder work to figure out how do we shape culture is something that we have to think about on a very regular basis and have to catch ourselves from doing what the natural response feels like it would be and instead going to what feels like how do we create the company that stays light, stays live, stays flexible and defines this culture and does not just have a, just an overwhelming glom of rules and policies, policies and processes. So I want to talk about rolling it out, internal and external. So the manifesto was written by y'all and was presented to the team as a part of kind of our internal rollout for new website mm -hmm. and branding. And even though, you know, as we've discussed, the manifesto is based on values and concepts that we had certainly largely talked about before at Titan. Mm -hmm. Did you feel nervous or anxious about rolling it out to the team internally? I mean, I did a little yeah. bit. Um, you made me feel nervous about it. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm kidding, but That's okay. you did, you did, you did have a, a critique about, just um, and and you phrased it really nicely, and you basically <laughs> no, I, I mean that you you said, hey, did you consider kind of like um, having this be more like a collaborative process, yeah. right? And I, it's a very good question. I, I, I um, th there are aspects of uh, you know this document and and you know other things about how we do do business that are uh not democratic right yeah. like and, and and don't come from like polling the team and having them you know everybody weigh in and then we make decisions that way that's one way of of doing things um and i can imagine a, a shape of organization that w where it would be time to to look more at that sort of a thing um but i think that given how much we had to say that wasn't already down um and and also just how closely held a lot of these these uh, ideas are it would have been uh, it would have been odd to to try to do it in, in a way that was like, hey, you know, folks, what do you think about this uh, this idea um, or how we're stating it or this and that? I mean, it really kind of had to be like a um, something that we just roll out and say, hey, this is the this is right. the deal. So, um, but yeah, I, I did have some nervousness about that and about frankly the whole 
re- uh, the whole rebrand process. And, and, um, but it was, a, it was a conscious and intentional decision to not kind of like pull people on, especially design is just impossible to do from a committee standpoint. I mean, you just, you can't, um, and I can't even like show some, show someone something and get any kind of feedback from outside. Like it has to be a closed box or, you know, that voice in my ear will start going, well, such and such said that it's a, you know, it's a little too, too much like the old brand or it's like a, or it's a little too blue or whatever like that. It, and it sticks in your head, whether you like it or not. So, um, for, for it me, it, yeah, it needed, yeah. it needed to be something that we did as a subset of the team. Right. And, um, and then, you know, if folks don't like it, we would just have to live with it. I mean, that's <laughs> so, yeah, which is legit. Um, I agree with Dan that there was aspects of the brand that I was a little concerned about, um, just because it was a very big creative endeavor and people could mm-hmm. think it was dumb. From the manifesto perspective, I think I wasn't only because um, the idea of the manifesto is literally centered around creating the type of company that we want to work for and we think that the people around us want to work for. Yeah. So if we released it and it was responded to negatively, that would have been awful. But I feel like it would have been so foundationally awful. Yeah. Like, wow, we are just completely not aligned about what we think the desirability of working for yeah. a place looks like. That that would have been a much bigger problem than people not liking the manifesto, right? Sure. And so for me, I'm like, if y'all don't like this manifesto, that's fine. But we got some bigger shit we got to work don't out. Like right. working here, but, either. yeah, exactly, <laughs> so. right? And but that's fine, and we could work that out. But like, let's yeah. say someone said, "Oh, you missed this point." Well, cool. Just it's a it's a website. It's so a just website. Add a point, right? Like, it's not a big deal. So yeah. I think for me, from the manifesto perspective. If anybody walks away from this manifesto thinking other than maybe little nitpicks, thinking anything other than this lines up with like the things I like about working at Titan. Well, first of all, I hope they tell me and we have a great conversation about it. But second of all, I think I would have been a little bit surprised only because it's not just that these are our ideals. These ideals have been informed very significantly by conversations with the people who work at Titan or used to work at Titan or want to work at Titan, you know? Right. And so it's not just like Matt and Dan kind of like swooping and pooping and something nobody's ever heard of before, right? These are... We love the swoop. Well, no, we don't love the swoop. We don't love the swoop. The phrase is great, but it's a fun phrase to say, right? Um, So it's not like we just kind of just. I was gonna say another phrase. How much do we swear in this podcast? You're gonna bring up toilet paper. I was gonna bring up somehow. You're gonna bring up toilet paper. Whatever. You can beep it up. It's not like we just shat this out like out of the blue, right? And like nobody knew this was coming, right? That's what I was gonna say before the swoop and poop. It's you know like we we have been holding these ideas, building a company around these ideas, hiring people who exemplify these these ideas for the last whatever 11 years yeah and so to imagine that that group of people who have been around us who have been helping inform this who exemplify these things which is why they work here and then for them to have a negative response to it just seemed so outside of my realm of possibility that i wasn't that bothered by it so when the website launched during laricon i think overwhelmingly there was a lot of positive feedback Mm -hmm. social media all sorts of things which is great but i have to ask did you whether social media or friends or other people in the industry or whatever, did you get any negative feedback or any feedback that made you kind of think that, that instead of negative, maybe it was more like, are you sure about that point? Mm-hmm. Did anybody push back on you in a way that like somebody, somebody you respected or some random person who you that kind of resonated with you? Was there any feedback like that? Have you gotten anything like that? Um, I mean, I'm like, I live under a rock. So yeah. You know that I, unless, <laughs> unless they say it on LinkedIn, they, they, they're not going to get a response from me. I'm pretty but. sure the only negative word I heard was, hey, can we have a not dark mode version of this? That's not negative. <laughs> that was just people's accessibility concerns. Oh, Beyond that question, I have not only was it positive, but like people who've never cared about anything I've ever done professionally right. ever before finally went and read the manifesto or the whatever. And they're like, yeah. oh, damn, this is what you do. 
And I was like, that's what I've been doing, but thanks for paying attention. So I got very, very, very positive feedback from a lot of unexpected quarters from this website. So. I definitely got some negative feedback from the like imposter voice in my head at times. Oh, sure. Um, that's, a, because, that's another angle. Well, you know, you, you write a thing in a, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe that's a different question. No, keep, let's keep um, But uh, yeah, you write a thing that's with a whole bunch of really direct statements that are, are opinionated. Mm. Um, at one point and you're in one kind of mood and one mind state and you go back and read it and you know um, there there are times when I've looked at statements on uh, you know in the manifesto or on our, on our site when I've gone man that, that person might be bragging a little bit you know like that's a little <laughs> maybe a little direct yeah um, but I'm, I'm careful not to you know I, I don't want to just go editing things like that willy-nilly either I, there's a there's a good reason for for the tone um, of all this stuff and, um, you know, bold, savvy and, op- and optimistic, that's the, that's the, you know, those are like the tenets of the brand and that we wanted to communicate. And, um, I'm basically living with them for, for, uh, for a good amount of time here. Uh, but yeah, I've had those moments where, I, you know, you, you work long enough on, on anything and you start to kind of, yeah. you do question it. Yeah. All right. So one more question for me, and then if any of our lovely audience members have any questions, we're going to cool. pass the mic around. <laughs> Fast forward two years from now. Is there something that either of you would hope that maybe we could add to the manifesto because we've changed something at Titan or grown in some way? Maybe something where there's like a seed germinating in either of y'all's brains that you think like a future iteration of Titan could do? Man, you asked some good questions, Dave. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'll face the mic. You ask really good questions, Dave. They're, yeah. Some of them are hard. Sorry. Um, no, I'm, I'm terrible at envisioning uh, the future. Like, I mean, maybe a lot of people are, but... Um, like uh, in the context of this document, hmm, I can't think of anything directly. I mean, there's definitely things that I want to to do and implement at the company yeah. that I hope would get done in um, in that time frame. Um, but uh, I can't think of anything like the foundational. You know what I mean? That it's uh, I think yeah, it comes I, to mind. I I would say I agree with what Dan said. If anything were to change about the manifesto, yeah. It would be out of a desire for us to get out there. So one of the things I've been telling the team a lot over this this kind of trip is that um, I feel like a lot of my time and energy has been being seen as someone who can teach about how to code and how to be a good individual person, yeah. right? And what I'm interested in doing is spending a little bit more time talking about how to run a great company. And the manifesto is kind of right. like step one of this. Right. So I think that if there was any change I could imagine happening, it would be as we start teaching other people about the manifesto, they say, well, what about X, Y, Z? And we realize it's missing. And then we kind of like make it. So maybe that wasn't necessary to talk about how Titan should be Titan. But if we imagine the manifesto is almost like a guide that we help other people will take and run with, then maybe we can like add some things in there that make it more useful for more other people. But it's, I don't know that I would imagine, like, I think if there's something as a goal for us, it would already be on here. So like Dan said, there's some goals I have for things we can do as a company that will help us even better align practically with the ideals of this manifesto, right. but none of them line up with actually changing the manifesto itself. So you don't have like a, it's not like you're like, okay, this is manifesto 1.0 and you've no. got like a vision yeah. board somewhere. No. You know, you're... people always say, yeah, very often say like, oh, this is a work in progress or yeah. a living document. It's not right. a living document. <laughs> it's just words on a website right there right. but um but uh <laughs> i mean we can change those words Sometimes yeah, no, it's, it's like a living document true. but like it's living document uh, in that way yeah yeah but it's not stuck forever yeah. but there's no intention to right. make any significant changes to it so yeah agreed okay um anybody have any questions if so get the attention of, of my amazing audio assistant jake all right yeah i got a question this is somewhat related to dave's last question which was say forward. who you are oh i'm <laughs> keith damiani i'm principal programmer here hey it's keith uh, 
Hey, how's hey. it going? Good to see you. Yeah. This is somewhat related to your last question, which is forward looking, but I want to look back a little mm. bit. So one mm. of the things that Matt said, and I, I agree with that I think is one of the most important parts of the manifesto is the tagline, build a company you want to work for. Mm-hmm. So it's been about a decade now. Has your notion or your conception of, quote, the company you want to work for changed over that time? Has it evolved? Yes. Um, <laughs> Jameson, who's been here as long as anybody else, is nodding vigorously right now. Um, so in some ways, the idea of building a company that cares for people and all those things hasn't changed at all, like we were saying at the beginning. But what it looks like to practically do so as an agency has changed very significantly. Because at the very beginning, for example, we were still estimating everything. I mean, that's the example we keep using, but it is the, has been the most notable change. Um, but I would say there's also a lot of other months, elements in which just our understanding of how to be, for example, confident and aware of our capabilities and seeing ourselves as experts was not something that we would have defined as a really strong value at the beginning. And now I literally just gave y'all a whole talk about, not y'all, but them all, um, about <laughs> expertise and, and having other people understand that like we're experts. And so I think that that's something that we certainly benefited from at the beginning, but I wouldn't have named it that way. I wouldn't have understood that like this is one of our things that we're looking for. Um, and doing that allows us to have a company that is more enjoyable that we certainly would have enjoyed 10 years ago, but we didn't know to understand that that was something valuable at that point. So I think that like, I think high level, the goal was always to create the type of place that cares for the people who work there and that cares for the people who we work for or whatever you want to call a client and does so in a way that like treats people's people that does the best job we possibly can. Who's open and communicative. But I think our understandings of how to do so have grown as we've grown as people and as we have, as a team, have kind of understood better, like what it looks like to actually act those things out through trial and tribulation and also some employee contribution stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think my, uh, my idea of the kind of company I wanted to work for has, has changed all that much. But what has been really surprising is just um, the, like how well it's gone mm-hmm. to do that. Right. And to, to say like, well, what if we just got rid of all the stuff that really, really sucks, you know? Um, and not, I'm sure there's, I'm looking around, I'm sure somebody's thinking, yeah, there's still all kinds of stuff that sucks. But, um, but. Uh, just ask for the mic. We can right. get that question. <laughs> exactly. Uh, go easy on me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no. And, and we say it in the, in the, uh, in the text of the, of the document, like that, what we were really surprised by is like how, uh, how well, you know, the, the results that we could get um, by doing these things and by, uh, n- you know, not just trying to treat people well, but but by making that the literal reason for the company mm-hmm. to exist. Yeah. I mean, we could all get other jobs, you know, in tech or in another industry. But the reason to have a company like this is is to have a place where we come together and take care of one another. Yeah. That That is that is the reason. Um, and having that down on paper. Um, you know, I, I'm so far from Keith's original question, but, uh, but it is, it has been, um, really surprising to me, like just, um, what we've been able to get away with, <laughs> uh, on the business side, sure. right. As we've, um, as we've centered that, um, that, uh, component of things. So now, let me add on that just a tiny yep. bit. We called that, that blog was called the great Titan experiment because we had started talking publicly to people mm-hmm. about how we wanted to run the company and they all were like, <laughs> that's a cool idea. Not sure if it's going to work for you, but good luck. Good and that, luck. and for people who know and love and respect us and who mm-hmm. believe that this is how companies should ideologi- or ideally be run, mm-hmm. they still didn't think it was going to work. And so what we basically had to decide together was this is worth the attempt. And if it doesn't work, then we'll just get some other job. But like, why not at least try it? And so I think that part of that yeah. kind of comes to Keith's back to Keith's question a little bit in that we weren't sure if it was going to work at the beginning. 
And so if we weren't sure it was going to work, we certainly weren't going to be brash as brash as we are today, having seen that what we've tried so far has worked. So now we're like, oh, let's try even more to experiment in how to kind of run this kind of a company. And so I do think that, like you said, since the beginning of the company 10 years ago, even just looking back to that blog post, our confidence and our, our belief that we can actually do these things was significantly lower and different mm -hmm. than what we're believing today that we're capable of doing. Yeah, no doubt. I have a question. Yes. I'm Jake Bathin. I'm hey, Jake. Holding the mic. Jake. Holding the mic. Um, how manifesto or procedures or culture fit and otherwise, how would you, how would you think that how you want to run the company would have to change with double the current employee staff mm. or 10 times the current employees? I know that's not something that's going to happen nope. like tomorrow or next year or in two years, but like, I'm wondering how the things you've put in place, uh, you see scaling, if there's something else that you definitely only works with a relatively small shop of 30-ish people, or if you start to get into the triple digits or higher yeah. that you'd have difficulty implementing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're terrifying. Dave is quitting. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one to start anyways. Um, Jake, super good question, um, first of all. I've thought a lot about size and headcount, and you know, uh, when I attend these industry events and there's uh, you know, people running shops of, you know, from one to a couple hundred or more. Um, and it dawns on me all the time. Like, I wonder, you know, if we could get away with this at, at a, a, you know, larger size, I don't want to be, this is as big as I ever thought we would be. Um, yeah. 30 has always felt like a real inflection point. Um, but I mean, I don't know. It's the first time I've done this. <laughs> uh, I, d I don't, uh, intend to, to get any bigger. I, I do think that the, um, like Matt was saying about, um, you know, building culture and then, uh, you know, putting it out in, in, in the company and then sort of letting, you know, y'all run it is, um, w gives me hope that you, that one could do that if they sure. wanted to, right? Like it can't yeah. continue to live in, you know, uh, in the two of us, but it already doesn't and it hasn't for the longest time. So, right. um, you know, those of you who have been here a long time, like so many of the quirks about what we do are from y'all, not from you know, Matt or, or I. And so I do think like if, if we had aspirations to be huge, there's a chance that you could, you know, that you could do it at, at a, you know, larger scale. I, I just, I don't know. You want to run that company? Yeah. No, no thank you. <laughs> so, okay. But uh, yeah. good question. Thanks, man. Um, I think that, so one of the things we've been doing intentionally is, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but I did earlier today talking about the book, Good to Great, which basically says that if you have a charismatic front person or people, um, you need to get to a point in order for this company to have like a long successful future to, to the point where it doesn't depend on those two people. And there's lots of reasons why, but you can imagine the simplest being what happens when that person retires or gets hit by a bus or whatever, right? Like if everything is dependent on those people being who they are and then they walk away and then everything falls to shambles, then you couldn't scale. You can't have any longevity and you're really just kind of like depending on them pulling all the strings all the time. So we have been very, very, very intentional over the last years um, trying to set things up so that either of us can disappear for a month for whatever reason and eventually get to the point where we can do that and the company will keep running exactly as it was. And it's not there yet. For example, you know, a month without Dan, I would try to take over BizDev and I've told you all earlier in this retreat exactly what would happen <laughs> in that scenario and we know it's not good. Um, but like the goal would be eventually to get to the point where you don't need the two of us and we're still doing what we do, but there's people who are capable of doing all the things we currently do 
And so that's one of the reasons why we're trying to hire for more roles. We're adding more levels of kind of like management, even though traditionally we used to be want to be really flat management. That's one of the reasons why we're also trying to scale everybody at the company up in certain skills that sometimes are things that he and I are, or, or I exemplify. And we want everybody else to have them so that you don't need us around for anything. Um, so we are trying to take steps to do so. And one of the things that's unintentionally done is prepared us for if we do get to a point where we want to be significantly bigger, it's no longer how big can the pyramid that has Matt mm-hmm. and top Matt, Matt and Dan at the pyramidian. Yeah, that was from Dan or Keith's talk earlier, but the top of the pyramid, uh, you know, you can only scale so big when everything runs down from the two of us. But if, when we have cultures and processes and people who can then teach other people to kind of do the same thing, there are more opportunities you have for scale. That doesn't mean we want to scale significantly. Um, at some point, like we can hire 10 project managers, but at some point there's only so many Dave's we can hire, we can have 10 leads. And at some point there's only so many Keith's, right? And so then you, we have to do more work, but we have always grown as slowly as possible. It's been a value of Dan's and mine from the very beginning of the company to grow as slowly as we're capable of doing so, because when you grow really quickly in response to significant influence, boxes of potential money, then a, you don't have the ability to respond to the changes that come bit by bit. And then you get overwhelmed by them and you get really toxic cultures that slip in accidentally. But then B, what happens when that money falls away? Now you have to start changing the culture of the company to adapt to the fact that, oh my gosh, we now have to find crappy clients to fit those spaces that we thought we were going to get. So we, we all have been very, 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 all, all along have been very careful about growing as slowly as possible so that every new challenge that comes with each new piece of growth is something we can address in its own time and then not grow anymore until we feel like we've addressed those things. So in theory, we could potentially just keep doing this as long as we want and maybe eventually hit 150 yeah. people if we wanted, but it would take a long time to get there because we're very intentional about growing really slowly and then hitting pause until we feel like we have a handle where we are and it takes time. And the bigger we get, the longer it takes to get a handle on each new stage. So yeah. And just a quick point to follow that up. Um, I was just thinking to myself, like, why, you know, I was making a scared face at you about, like, big, being bigger, right? Um, and the idea of there being 60 of you instead of 30 here does not, like, you know, that doesn't terrify me as, like, a being in the room or, or anything like that. What terrifies me is the idea of getting big enough to where you have to lay people off at times, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that just to, to get to Matt's point about growing slow, that's probably, I would say the main reason that we have tried to grow so slowly is I never want to come tell anybody that it's time, you know, that, that they can't work here anymore because we tried to grow too fast or because I made some, you know, bad decision or, you know, um, or we did something like, uh, too quickly or or not intentionally. So that, that's the big thing. It's like, it's that's 60 families, you know, that are (laughs) are dependent on, um, me making good decisions. And uh, it sounds like a lot of pressure, but mostly I just don't want to ever have to tell anybody that they're, they're they're, can't work here anymore. Interesting. Cause my bigger fear is, choosing to take on um working arrangements that are not in line with our values mm. so that we don't have to lay people off yeah. and then the whole freaking experiment of create a company you want to work for we're like well in order to keep this company alive we now have to make compromises that it's no no longer fully the company you want to work yeah. for it's like 80 percent the company you want to work for sure but at least we didn't <laughs> lay people off and yeah like, that's, that's a good a, point and it, it's not a um, situation yeah there's some downstream kind of things that happen when you have to when you have that as a um as an imperative yeah but mm. uh, good point yeah can I ask a follow-up to that? Yeah. Which is um, one of the things that happens as Titan gets bigger is, mm-hmm. as you pointed out in a good way, right? The company is not just the two of you, but mm-hmm. that means the company culture is not just the two of you. Have either of you, maybe your darkest moments, felt a fear or worry of any kind about, it? like the culture at Titan is like just 
multiplied and it's just in a good way. It's like, it's very, it's, it's just not the two of you anymore. And I think that's a good thing, but has, have you ever thought, Oh boy, I don't know. Things took a turn somewhere. No, not at all. I good. mean, I, I, I'm glad I, it was an I, extra I, question. I, I not in the least. I mean, okay. I had so much more interesting and fun with yeah. other people driving it than it would be with, with, you know, Matt or I doing it. I, yeah. I, you know, um, yeah. I mean, there's so many just like, you know, uh, inside jokes and, and traditions and, and, uh, and things that we have around here that have absolutely nothing to do with me. And it would be really boring if, if, you know, if it was all flowing from the top. So sure. no, I, I haven't ever had that feeling. You I haven't had that feeling, but you asked me for deepest, darkest. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm Therapy a hour with Matt and Dan, <laughs> right? I'm a words of affirmation person. So okay. I really like it when people notice what I do well, mm. but I also try to be very humble. So I don't want to tell anybody what I do well. And so I really enjoy when somebody notices something that I did well and then notices that I did it well. So anytime anybody's like, oh, Matt did this great. I'm like, okay, I'm full for the day. And like, I'm happy. With it. <laughs> the bigger the company gets, the less the things that I have done that are good are attributed to me. Because first of all, I hired great people who acted those things out. But second of all, they took them and probably made them better. So the credit deserves to is, belongs to them instead of me. Right. Yeah. So the more we have an amazing company that has amazing people doing amazing things, the less it's the Matt show being amazing. And the more it's a whole bunch of amazing people who happen to work here because Matt and Dan brought them together. Right. Yeah. And so deep, dark inside every once in a while, there's a moment where I'm like, Oh man, you know, like I'd like more credit for whatever stupid thing. And I'm like, well, that's not actually something that I left to my own devices would have put it in the place that it's in today. And then I go, I'm really grateful for all these wonderful people. Right. So in terms of the culture running away from me, no, everything in here is just like Dan said, is a hundred times better. But yeah. if we just really want to talk deep, sure. dark, the, the ego sometimes can be a little bit lower when you intentionally don't make yourself like the big masthead figurehead who gets sure. credit for every great thing in the whole place. Sure. Because as Titan has gotten bigger in a sense, like you've probably had to sort of decide for yourself, like, do you find joy in others succeeding, yeah. not just yourself? Yeah. And I believe the answer to that is yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But like, I hear you, like, it's just almost like a different job almost. And also one of the things I talked with one of my friends about recently is uh, there was a moment about a year and a half in or something like that, where everybody we'd hired up to that point was either an apprentice or Jameson who I had started working with. <laughs> well, that's not shade at all. I don't know. Hold on. We all it. No. So we hired everyone he'd hired either been an apprentice or Jameson who I had worked with together and not trained him, but like helped him grow. Right. Yeah. And so every single time we'd hired somebody put me in a position to be like, I'm smart. I know what I'm doing. People are looking at me. And I hit a point where I'm like, that's not going to scale. I need to hire people who are smarter than me. Yeah. And so we made the shift and not to say that Jameson isn't freaking brilliant or the apprentices weren't amazing human beings. Things, but like my goal there was not to hire somebody who can blow me out of the water in X or Y technology. My goal was to bring in wonderful people and give them a space to grow. And I had to shift my mindset and say, if I'm always the smartest person in the room, and again, I'm not talking about intelligence and human person. That's just, that's just a phrase, but like, then we're only always going to be limited by my abilities as a programmer. And so we kind of shifted and I had to say like, I want someone who's better than me at this technology or that technology or this way of thinking or whatever. And that is a difficult thing to do when again, like a lot of owning a company can come down to ego at times. And it's like, Oh, I want everybody to think I'm great and wonderful and smart and stuff like that. And so it's, it's, be, it's been a joy to have done that. But it took work to choose to put myself in a position where every single person in the company is better at something than I am in some way, shape or form. And I celebrate that. Yeah. And I'm not the smartest person in the room. And I love not being the smartest person in the room because now I can learn something from everybody. But again, when you're doing that thing where you're set up in a position to be like seen as the leader, it takes an intentional step to like choose not to do that because then it's always just going to be like the you show yeah. and a whole bunch of people who you intentionally made subservient to you. And that's not healthy for anybody. It, it dawns on me that we never had a conversation about making sure that 
I wasn't the smartest person in the room. <laughs> 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 or hiring people smarter than Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, maybe you're still the smartest person in the room. I don't know. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no chance. Hi, I'm Marge Holmstrom Sabo. You've heard my voice many times on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Matt and Dan, you've talked about building a company you want to work for. My question is, have you built a company you want to retire from? What are your plans for your own selves and your own lives? Because we love our company. I'd love to see it be here forever. I don't want you to be here forever. So what thoughts have you given to... What am I going to do when I'm done with this? Oh, I got, I got thoughts about this. Now we're getting deep and dark secrets. I know, right? No, it's not dark. This is the opposite of dark. Mm, So uh, I'll I'll try to... Uh, this might begin kind of long, but um, mm. so I had this thought about people who are uh, really wealthy and um, who try to do, you know, it's like uh, once you get to a billion dollars, I mean, um, other than, uh, you know, capital allocation or something like that, like what uh, 90% of that money already has a utility value of zero, right? Because you ultimately you, get, you have one life. I mean, you're limited by that that much time. There's only only so much luxury you can, you can, you know, avail yourself of or, or, um, or any of that. And, uh, I was thinking to myself, like, I mean, I don't need to, I, I don't have a desire to be incredibly wealthy. Um, but I think it would be unbelievably cool if Titan were independently wealthy, right. It, or, or, um, and what I mean by that is like, imagine that we were successful enough to, at a certain point to say, okay, well, we don't even just, we just don't care about revenue for a year or two or whatever. And we just hit the pause button. And then it's like, you know, a billionaire that is ridiculously rich, but has a bunch of, you know, uh, people that they treat poorly working for them. And that's why they're so wealthy. I'm looking at you, Mr. Mr. Amazon guy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, there's, they, they just still have the one life, right? Yeah. But imagine I have some project that I want to do and the company is successful enough that we can just say, that's fine. Okay. We'll just lose money for a year. It doesn't matter. And then we, you know, my dream is to, Say, okay, now you three as a group, go find the thing that is like the most impact that you think you can have for a year, go, right? Like, and then have clusters of people doing that. That is my idea of retirement because then you've like multiplied yourself, right? So you have good and big ideas and there's only so much I can do, right? Um, There's wonderful things we can do on behalf of clients, but ultimately it's not. It's not like my, those are not my dreams playing out. This is when we finally build the Instagram. That practice. would be retirement to me, right? Because I still don't have to do, yeah, right? I still, I still don't have to do, you know, I wouldn't be me doing the work. And so in that sense, I, I you know, I could be retired, but, yeah. um, but that to me would be like the ultimate way to be sort of like moving on to that next step is to have done well enough with the company that we can, it can be a vehicle for, for playing out my old man dreams, you know, in the, uh, in the sense of, uh, being able to do stuff that isn't driven by a financial incentive. So, um, I think the baseline assumption that, you know, if there's retirement in the future, I'd like to spend tor- more time with my kids and travel and be in the ocean. Those are all kind of like baseline assumptions. Shit, I think no, he's, I got like I that. he's got the same He's got the same. That was baseline assumptions for you too, right? Um, but now that I've kind of said those things, like if we talk about what I would like to do with my life and the impact I'd like to make in my life outside of the context of Titan, I think the, what I hinted at earlier is that. So, and that doesn't mean that it'll be forever. But what I said earlier was I spent the beginning of my Titan career teaching people how to code. So at the middle of it, teaching them how to like be kind and good and generous and empathetic people. And my goal going forward is hopefully to spend time teaching kind of business owners and CTOs and stuff like that, how to run organizations that look a little bit more like Titan does. And so for me, like the impact I'd like to make is for people to look, you know, we talk about 
you know, Mr. Rogers and Ted Lasso being my heroes <laughs> all the time. And like, if you look at the impact that Mr. Rogers made on people's lives, he made a, like millions of children believe that somebody knows them and loves them and cares for them and they're not alone. Right. Like, and that's amazing. And when we see stuff from Mr. Rogers today, we all tear up a little bit because we remember the impact that he had on our lives, making us feel that way. And he was very, very, very intentional about doing that. He literally said, that's what I want to do is make kids feel this way. Right. And so for me, that's why he's my hero is because he spent his entire life and his entire legacy is making oh, millions and millions and millions of children. And he especially originally targeted children who are least likely to have that love and support, right? Like making them feel that way. And he has an amazing legacy and we're all grateful for him. So like, I am very grateful for the opportunity I've had to influence culture at um, Titan, because like I've always said, with ownership of a company comes power and privilege. And those words are scary because they're abused most of the time. But like, if you just try to pretend that you don't have it, that's also ridiculous. Dan and I both have power and privilege. We own a company. We, you know, we have, you know, access to do things with money, with people's jobs and stuff like that. Um, and we also have power and privilege in the company. Yeah. Like Dan's pointing at the lodge that we're in right now. It's power, it's privilege. And we can either pretend like we don't have it and just allow it to just kind of go unhinged based on whatever random crap comes out of our brains, or we can acknowledge that we have it and then try to use it for good. So for me, the goal with the power and privilege has always been just like Dan keeps talking about, how can we create the best place? Like Daniel Colborn said this on a podcast years ago, and it was very helpful. He's like, I kind of feel like Matt and Dan just basically set out to create the 17 best jobs that have ever existed in the history of the planet. Cause it was 17 <laughs> at that point. And it was really nice to hear That's somebody say that because yes, but I often don't understand that people understand that. Right. And so one of the benefits of this whole manifesto situation has been naming those things. So it's, I'm not as surprised when somebody recognizes that what it's about, but like for me, I'm like, great, well, we're at 30 people. I don't want to have to grow this company to 200 people to, in order to have a positive impact on 200 people's lives. Right. Yeah. I think the company should grow its own pace, but I would love for my impact to grow at a larger pace than that. So if I were to imagine what retirement looks like for me is first of all, Titan continuing to thrive and grow and be the space where now people who are not Matt and Dan continue to do all the wonderful things in this place to give people wonderful lives and wonderful jobs and all that kind of stuff. And then for me to be able to go do that for other people. So I don't want to be a, you know, a schmoozy consultant. I keep telling people who just quotes Sun Tzu on Twitter just to try and get more Twitter followers or whatever. <laughs> but I would, if there's an opportunity for us to use what we've done here. Thought leader the face, Matt. You're not going to go thought, full thought leader. I'm not going to go full thought leader. But if there's an opportunity <laughs> for me without trying to Trade sell money. courses or trying to sell anything else. <laughs> Um, to go take the manifesto or whatever else and help more people create companies that care for people that create 17 more jobs or 1700 more jobs that make people lives better so that they can be more present for their families and can be happier. That's an impact I'd like to make. And so for me, it's sort of like taking the little kind of template that we did here and taking it much broader. Like that's kind of next dreams for me. And I don't have to be retired to do that. That's where I'm heading right now. But as I think about like what would be post Titan for me, it would be just taking Titan and bringing it everywhere else basically. Thanks Marge. I think this might be our last probably question because I'm guessing dinner is probably. We're actually doing okay. So okay. 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 If we got him. Uh, hi. Who are you? Chris Trombley. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. So uh, you both have helped everyone who works here professionally and many, if not all of us personally. You've built a great company and certainly a company that I want to work for. This isn't a dig for a raise, by the way. Dan already owes me 50K after <laughs> losing several holes in Golden Tea last night. <laughs> <laughs> So despite all of your success, nobody always gets it right. What is one thing that you both got wrong building Titan? How did you correct it? What did you learn from it? And how does it affect your decision-making process moving forward? Yeah, the worst decision I made was playing with you last night. <laughs> I mean, 50K. Good Lord. Um, 
you want to answer that seriously? I, well, we yeah. should, but I, I don't yeah. even know the answer right now. So do you have a good answer? Chris, would you mind just repeating it? Because once you said the 50K thing, it <laughs> really... too busy uh, thinking about golf. My mind went down that path. Top T or whatever it's called. It's like 10 yeah. Dannon balls. Yeah, it really is. It sure. Really is. So, so while building tight, exactly. what <laughs> is one thing that you got wrong? How did you correct it? What did you okay. learn from it? And how does it affect your decision-making process moving forward? Hmm. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that we're doing like almost everything wrong at the beginning. <laughs> like we've just been kind of trying to course correct um, bit by bit since. Um, I think it did wrong though. Just like the, there hasn't been any big theory. It's like kind of like your, the question about the manifesto. Are there aspects that you, you know, that we would have pulled out or that were, that almost didn't make the cut. Um, reminds me of that, but um, there's not anything that comes really concretely to mind just because, you know, they all sort of stem from a from a a principle that's kind of hard to uh, hard to argue with, I guess. Damn, man, you ask you ask Dave like good questions. This is, this is another tricky one. You want to go? Um, I don't know if this is the biggest one, but I think that um, one of the things we've been talking about this on site is uh, how much are we trying to write code, and how much are we trying to help other people get their organizations kind of healthier and set up better. And one of the things that's meant for me is always trying to push the boundaries and the edges of how comfortable we are with basically like working with clients who are putting our programmers in unhealthy spaces. And so I can't say that this is definitively like a huge issue, but I would say that if I have regrets, most of the moments I regret in terms of like interpersonal interactions with clients is where I get into a place where in retrospect, I feel like the team was not as healthy working with that client as I wish they were. And often I reflect it's because I was trying really, really, really hard for us to fix the client. Um, so I don't know that I would say that's a huge mistake and that we shouldn't do it. Cause like, like you all know, although y'all listen to the podcast, don't know this. My talk at this onsite was about how we can scale up in our ability to help clients grow and fix their internal issues. But I would say that like just leaving people in a difficult situation where I desperately attempt to fix whatever is going on organizationally has often led to people feeling burned out as I'm like, look, let's just do this. Let's, this we'll do this work. This is something I really want. And I saw, I don't, I don't know if this is the biggest regret, but it was the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question is just like my aspirations for us to be more than just programmers and really kind of change other people's culture, leaving people in unhealthy situations longer than in, in retrospect that I would have. So, yeah, I, I think I, now that you mentioned it, I think I can answer the question more like looking for what I want to avoid doing. Uh, and I want to make sure that I don't um, get to the point where my role at the company needed to have been augmented or replaced long before I actually do it. Right. So, um, and that's something that, uh, towards the end of last year, I was definitely thinking about it. It's like, you know, this is, we're a lot more people than we were and, and there's just a lot more, you know, hungry mouths to feed. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, people ready to do work and, and at a, um, you know, it, it, at a really high rate of speed and, and with, um, you know, great, uh, adeptness. And I, I, uh, you know, I don't, I, what would be terrible is for the current situation to be or like a situation like last fall to be, you know, something that was a trailing indicator of a situation that already existed and, you know, that we were really in trouble. So I guess I would say that like, I want to make sure that, um, we're smart enough to, or, or at least I'm smart enough and humble enough to, to sort of see the writing on the wall long enough in advance before, uh, like big change needs to happen. Um, so that, you know, we don't want to screwed. <laughs> so, um, and it's not really an answer to your question, but, um, but I didn't prepare for this. Like, like most conversations I end up having. <laughs> but, 
actually just came up with a better answer. Okay. Um, when we I had, know I'm going to think of something as soon as we're done. Here, so oh, yeah, I'm sure you are. That's fine. It's, what you said was great. Um, when we had difficulties in the first couple of years of the company, um, oh, and I, now I already know. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> do you want to go? I mean, no, no, you okay. can go. Yeah. Um, I would often see the difficulty coming, and then I would ask Dan about the difficulty, and Dan would say, "This isn't a difficulty," and then I'd be like, "Well." Dan says it's not an issue, so I'm going to go. Right. And then later it would become a difficulty. And then I'd be like, well, I, I asked Dan about it. And he said nothing about it. And so I <laughs> took a, a lack of ownership mm -hmm. over my agency and actually figuring out what's going on mm -hmm. because I wanted somebody else to be responsible for the decisions that were being made and for the consequences of those decisions. So if I said, hey, I'm worried and, you know, like I'm only saying this because Dan has mentioned it multiple times. I'm worried that this particular project is booked in a way where there's no way we're going to be done when they run out of budget. And I think we should be communicating now, three months before we're in a budget, that this is going to be a big issue. And he says, don't worry about it. It's no problem. They've got more budget afterwards. And I think that's probably not true. And it smells to me. <laughs> I go, Dan said we're good. And then multiple times when I'm working with programmers yeah. over the next three months, they're like, hey, you know, we're not going to have enough time or money. I'm like, don't worry about it. Dan said we're good. We're good. Mm -hmm. End of story. Right. And so, like, I was refusing to take ownership to have the difficult conversations with Dan and also with this client. And I just put all the onus on him to basically like take this responsibility. And then when it turns out that Dan was wrong, he spends all this time apologizing. Whoa, 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 whoa. I was wrong. You were wrong. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> you were way wrong. But then Dan spends all this time apologizing when in reality I had a very big role to play in that. And it looks like it was just Dan's fault when in reality I could have at any point during those three months actually sucked it up and actually had the difficult conversation and didn't. And I've had a couple moments since that particular one mm. where I found that temptation come up to be like, well, Dan said so. And I have to remind myself, it doesn't matter. Like we're equal partners here. He's not my dad, you know, like, so like, you know, like we got to figure this out together and working way that way allows us to now trust that we're going to push each other. If he says the thing and I don't agree with it, I'm going to push it again. If that same thing with him for me. So I think that's probably one of my biggest regrets is, is allowing him to kind of like take the fall of a difficult decision yeah and not necessarily fall because he could have taken the success if it worked but like just not being willing to do the hard work if that makes sense yeah and and so i, I want to be just uh, i did think of the thing and it's very it's very concrete i just want to be really um uh i just want to be very careful about how, how i talk because it's about it's someone who doesn't work here anymore um and early on in the um oh, yeah. in uh an early employee's tenure i think there was conversations that needed to be had with that person mm -hmm. that i did not have because I didn't want to have a hard conversation. Yeah. And I think that person was ill served um, by, you know, I served myself by doing that because I didn't have to feel the discomfort, but it was, um, you know, uh, harm was done to that person for that. And I, I have learned a lot from that. And, you know, really centering that as a value is something that we, um, that, that came out of that and, and many other experiences. But yeah, there's, there's one, one thing in particular I had. I, I, th I think that uh, I should I should have been better in that spot. Okay. Do we have any other questions? Last one. Going once, going twice. Okay. So that's it for this very special episode of 20% Time. I want to thank, I got some people to thank. I want to thank Matt and Dan for doing this, for doing this episode, for building this company, for helping put us in this awesome lodge at Onsite. <laughs> I have to thank Marge and Anna for planning on-site and doing a fabulous job. I need to thank Jake for being my audio man. I didn't even ask him. He just did it. Thank you, Jake. With an assist from Sean for supplying any Typical amount large. of equipment and expertise. Thank you both. And I want to thank all of you for taking time. I know we're running a little late for being an audience, for asking questions, for being here. So thank you, everybody. Give her, Everybody give yourselves a round of applause. Hey.
And thank you, Dave, for coming as uh, prepared and, and uh, ready to put us in uncomfortable uh, conversations, <laughs> you know, as, uh, as you always do. So, yeah. no, I, I mean it. That's, it's, yeah. uh, thanks for the great questions. And um, it, was, it was fun. Yeah. All right. That's it. Thanks, everybody. All right. All right. Peace.